All right. Let's get to see everybody this morning. Take your Bibles and go to Second Peter in the first chapter. So I was doing some uh, research this last week. Ran across these letters that children wrote to their pastors. They were kind of interesting letters. I was trying to recall if I had any letters like this sent to me. And to this point, I don't think so. Um, First one, dear pastor, my father should be a minister. Every day he gives me a sermon about something. Robert, age 11. Dear pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate. But my father hasn't given me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon on giving more money to children? Patty, age 10. Dear pastor, please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. Thank you, Alexander, age 10. And then the last one, uh, dear pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. By the way, I am Peter Peterson. <laughs> oh, my goodness. In Louisiana, um, you get your driver's license when you're 15 years old. So when I was 14, I received my uh, permit. And, of course, this is back in 1980, something like that. And, um, but there was one requirement on the test that was absolutely mandatory. You had to be able to parallel park or you could not get your driver's license. Well, at the time, we had a little Mazda, real small car, and then we had a station wagon. That thing was huge. So my dad told me, he said, son, I think it'd be easy for you to parallel park that Mazda, but I want you to parallel park that uh, station wagon. I'm like, what? I'm taking my driver's test. I don't want to take a station wagon to a driver's test. But I wanted my driver's license, right? You remember that? Uh, Some of you guys are looking forward to getting your driver's license. But I remember I wanted my license. My dad wanted me to learn how to parallel park. And so instead of taking the Mazda, I had to take the station wagon. But in order to learn how to parallel park that station wagon, I had to practice over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, I got to the point where I think I could have parallel parked a yacht. I mean, if you ever remember those station wagons, they were huge. And the reason that I spent so much time parallel parking that station wagon was because getting my driver's license mattered. It mattered to me. It was high on my priority. I mean, you think about when teenagers get to that point. They want their driver's license. They want it. They want you to take off work. They want you to just erase anything you have going on in your day because they want that license and they want it bad. It matters to them. Well, we're talking about spiritual growth and this morning I want to talk about the fact that spiritual growth should matter. It should matter. I want you to kind of get a taste of that. Peter wanted his readers to understand that it mattered. I want you to look in verses 8 and 9 of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to concentrate on 5 through 7, but I want you to see the serious nature in which Peter writes. He's not wanting these guys to simply breeze over these traits or these qualities or these characteristics. He wants them 
to zone in. These are very, very important for you in your growth as a believer. Notice he says, verse 8, For if these things or these qualities, which he's referring to in 5 to 7, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless, look at this, neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who wants to be rendered useless and unfruitful in the body of Christ? I hope you don't. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things or lacks these qualities is what is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So here's the question. How much attention are we given to spiritual growth? Now, when you think about spiritual growth, what comes to your mind? You know, what is it that is at the forefront of your thinking when you think about spiritual growth? Is it simply coming to church? Is it attending a Sunday school class? You know, is it simply giving? What is it? Spiritual growth encompasses a whole lot, wouldn't you agree? Right? It's, that's a big bag. All right? It's not just putting one item in the, in the, in the cart when you're going down that lane at a grocery, uh, grocery store. The Christian life, that whole sanctification piece, that growth process, it includes a lot of different things. And Peter wants to remind these believers about the importance of growing spiritually. It's easy, guys, it's easy to be deceived. It's easy to think, well, I'm doing really well spiritually. But then when someone says, well, how often did you open the Bible this week? Or how often did you spend in time with prayer with the Lord? Those are, when you say those are pretty penetrating questions. They absolutely are. And they demand a response. You see, I've been saved to do something for the Lord. I've been saved to, to be sanctified, to be set apart for Him. It matters. And so in this text, Peter talks about these issues around spiritual growth, these traits. It's interesting, though, he begins with a command. Last week, we talked about Last week we talked about the attitude and growth. And we said that right from the very beginning, in verse 5, he says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and so forth and so on. But in the attitude, we saw that we are to be diligent or disciplined. There's to be this energetic discipline in our lives. This matters more than anything else. Right? Does it? Does spiritual growth matter more than anything else? It matters more than that driver's license. It matters more than sports. Boy, that one touches all our toes, doesn't it? It matters more. It's way up here. You know, he sanctified us. He set us apart in order that we might grow matters and our attitude in it as he points out in the very beginning should be one of diligence and discipline there should be this energy about us i mean listen we've been saved right we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness to what to light we're different at least i think we are right 
Well, he begins with a command to grow. This word supply is a really interesting um, word. He moves from attitude and growth to command to grow. And the word supply there is a command. It's imperative. He's not saying if you want to or think about it for a while. He's saying this. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. That word supply is a better word than the word add. Some of you guys might have the translation add. Now remember, we're not talking about adding to our salvation, right? In terms of, well, I have to, it's faith plus something else. We're talking about the sanctification piece here, right? The salvation piece is based on faith alone and Christ alone. The sanctification piece means that the Lord continues to do the work, but I'm responsible to come alongside and to yield to the Spirit of God and to do these things. Um, So this word supply literally means to outfit a chorus. In the Greek culture, it referred to someone who provided all that was needed for a chorus production. I'm going to pick on Ron this morning. Because when I thought about this word, I thought, Ron, that's what he does. He supplies everything that's needed, right? In the form of singers, in the form of instruments, any accompaniment, these out rounds that you see, right? That's the picture here. The picture here is of one who provided all that was needed for a chorus production. But the word also even goes beyond that. Not only did they provide it, but they funded it. So Ron... Right? Not only are you providing, right? You're funding. You're funding all these out rounds, right? Which were a couple of dollars, right? So, but that's the picture here. The picture here is of one who took full and complete responsibility. Ah. Then I need to think about that in terms of my life and my walk. I am to take full and complete responsibility. Do you have a responsibility to grow? Absolutely. Scriptures tell us over and over again we do. The word came to mean provide abundantly. So the idea is that the believer is to provide abundantly with diligence. Abundantly with diligence to what God has done in our salvation. Which demands what? That we yield in obedience to the Spirit of God. That's what it demands. It demands that we yield in obedience to the Spirit of God. Right? We have the responsibility to supply to outfit a chorus, if you will. We are responsible as believers to take on what the Word says for us to do. And so that's how that word supply fits in. It's a command. It's something that we are to provide. And so there's a responsibility. Peter's pointing out, hey, look, yes, the Spirit of God lives in us. He resides in us. He works in us. But we have the responsibility to yield, and to do our part as believers in Christ. And so, we come to the traits, all right? You have the command to grow and then the traits in growth. Notice what Peter says, verse 5, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Abundantly supply moral excellence. So the faith is there. Right? That's the foundation of all this. There are three uh, points I wanted to make about uh, this before uh, we move on to the specific traits. 
I want, in each of these points are about the traits. Number one, each trait gives birth to the next. Right? They're all connected. So each trait relates to the other. It's not just randomly put in an order here. All right? So each trait gives birth to the next one. Each trait relates to the other. If you'll notice in the traits, you're going to see that the first five really are personal. And the last two really are public, right? They're, 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 they're public. Um, and thirdly, the foundation of these traits is faith. Notice he says, now for this very reason also, verse 5, applying all diligence in your faith supply. So the faith's already there. He's writing to believers. So in your faith, he says, supply moral excellence. Moral excellence is an interesting word. It means it refers to moral goodness. Peter's speaking here about uh, ethical excellence. That term excellence means mastery, uh, which is demonstrated for the purpose of influencing others. Um, I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a good illustration here. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see this with me. Ephesians 4. Turn over there uh, with me in Ephesians 4. Let's look at this. So it means moral goodness. Uh, I like the full meaning of that because the idea is that, that we have this, we're, we're supplying our faith, this moral excellence for the purpose of influencing others. I guess, um, I know years ago, Charles Barkley made a comment, said, well, I don't, I don't uh, influence anyone or, or I'm not a role model to anyone baloney. Well, he might not want to be, but the reality is, he is. You might not want to be an influence, but the reality is, we all are, right? We influence. Um, I like what, uh, stay in Ephesians, I'm going to get there in a second. I like what Wayne Barber says. He says, believers are virtuous or morally excellent when there is fulfillment of purpose in the Christian life. Now look at this last part, this last phrase. Not merely announcing to the world that we are different. Or you could even say, not merely announcing to the world, hey, I'm a Christian. Well, there are a lot of people out there that say, I'm a Christian. Right? But Peter's idea here is that there's this moral goodness, there's this moral mastery or excellence. Um, it's walking worthy of your call. That's what it is. You say, I'm a Christian? Well, that's your position. And that doesn't change. If you're a believer in Christ, your position does not change. But Peter here is talking about practice. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, here are some examples of that. What does that look like? What does this moral goodness look like in our lives? Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to notice um, beginning in verse 20. Ephesians 4 verse 20. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks about our position in Christ. In the last three chapters, he talks about our practice, how we're to behave as believers. And so verse 20 says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in 
the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. All right, so what does this moral excellence look like? Look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside all what? All falsehood, do what? Speak truth. Part of that moral goodness or excellence is that we go from being right before Christ, we were liars. But, right? In practice, we were liars. After we came to Christ, we stopped lying. You said, that, we're not going to be perfect. No, we're not going to be perfect. But it should not be our lifestyle. Our lifestyle should not be one of lying. Paul says, you're new. That ought to mean something. So he says, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. You ever um, heard someone say or make the comment, use this phrase, oh, that's just a little lie. Well, but it's a what? It's a lie. So maybe I cheated on my income tax before I came to Christ, but I don't do it, do it after, right? <laughs> so he says, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another, so I'm honest with my brother and sister in Christ. I'm honest with them. You say that, well, sometimes it's hard to be honest. Hey, I agree. I agree it's very difficult to be honest because in my flesh I want to do what? Lie. To avoid what? Conflict. Sometimes I lie because I want to avoid conflict. Paul, man, he doesn't give him a way out. I'm looking for a way out. He doesn't give him a way out. He says, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Well, what else does moral goodness look like? Verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I can remember in 32 years of marriage being angry with Teresa and going to bed and not dealing with the problem one time. And boy, I remember that night. I remember like it was yesterday. Miserable. I was miserable. Because I knew what I had done was wrong. I just kind of let it fester. And she slept, and I dealt with it the next day. But guys, the Scripture's clear, isn't it? Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many times does that happen to husbands and wives? <laughs> do we want to have class participation here? And why, how many times have we been so stubborn as to say, I'm not apologizing first? <laughs> oh, my goodness. See, I mean, this is radical stuff. I mean, never, and I'm reading through here, and, and you have to remember in the context of Second Peter, Peter's about to die. So, I mean, he's, he's writing out, hey, look, this stuff's critical. It is for us. Notice he says, verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, we give the devil an opportunity when we do not deal with that. Well, how else does that moral goodness look? Verse 28, let him who steals, steal no longer. But let, let him, excuse me, labor, performing with his own hands what is good, 
in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. And then he says, verse 28, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. How else does moral excellence look? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You know, people want to take that phrase and, and associate it with just four-letter words. No. Unwholesome there is foul. That's the word. Foul language. So he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And notice this, but only such a word as is good for what? Edification. So maybe, just maybe, in looking at this verse, I need to keep my mouth shut more than I open it. Because sometimes I say things that aren't necessary, that can get me in trouble. Things that are dishonoring to the Lord. He says that when I speak, it's to be for edification according to the need of the moment. There's not always a need to speak. That it may give grace to those who hear. How does moral goodness look? Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What grieves the Spirit? Sin. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he tells him, he gives him this list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why? Well, in the context, you're new. You're different. And then he says, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so he begins in Second Peter with this concept of moral excellence. I like the last half. I mentioned that uh, just a minute ago, but I want to say one more thing about that. As it says, refers to moral goodness, which is demonstrated for the purpose of influencing others. Parents, you're constantly influencing your children. Constantly. You know, they're, in basketball, if you listen to the NBA, at the end of each quarter, if you listen to the um, PA announcer, and you can hear it sometimes even on television when you're watching, he'll say, two minutes, two minutes left in the quarter. It's a warning, right? It's for everyone, just like this is. This is something that all of us are to pay attention to because we influence people. We influence others. So he says, Supply in your faith moral excellence. And then he says, knowledge. Notice the verse. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. This word is an interesting word. It means correct insight. This is not the same word as epigenosis. This is a different word. It's just knowledge. It's an accumulation of knowledge. But it's not just to accumulate knowledge just so you say, well, I know all this. But it's to accumulate knowledge for the purpose of what? Discernment. Being able to distinguish between truth and error, from right from wrong. So it's correct insight to gain an understanding for the purpose of discernment. How many minutes a day are you spending in God's Word? There's no way that you and I can know what God wants for our lives unless we're in the book. 
just impossible. What's going to help us to gain the understanding? Scripture. So what do we do with the Scripture? We study. How many of you are actively involved in studying the Scriptures every day? Studying the Scriptures. But it's not just study, it's memorization. We memorize Scripture. We hide God's Word in our heart, Scripture says, that we might not what? Sin against Him. So this is the idea of knowledge. It's the idea of studying. It's the idea of memorizing. It's the idea of meditating. And mothers are just looking for like a minute or two in their day that's quiet, right? You're going, hey, Thad. You know, I'm a mother and I've got a lot of little kids running around. You say, what do I do? Now, you might throw something at me, but you might have to get up five minutes earlier. Or you might have to stay up ten minutes later. Because it's that important. Just as it is important to nurture those children, it's important that we are nurtured individually as believers in Christ through study, memorization, and meditation. And the practice of meditating on Scripture is only something that I've come to in the last several years. It's so wonderful. If you, if you find five or ten minutes in your day where you can read some Scripture and then just meditate on it. Lord, what is it that you want me to know about this section of Scripture? Because His Word's alive, guys. It's sharp, penetrates. Well, Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Hey, listen, I understand that, that studying the Scriptures and being in the Word's a discipline. I understand that completely. I get that. And I know it's hard. But how many of you would say it's necessary? Absolutely, it's necessary for spiritual growth. Um, Pew Research, this is interesting. This is not a really great statistic, but it's one that we need to hear. Pew Research in 2010 did a survey and found that atheists, agnostics, Jews, and Mormons score the highest on questions about core teaching. In fact, evangelicals were really low on the survey. Only about 15% understood the core fundamentals of Christianity. Well, I would say that percentage is lower today. I don't think it's higher. In fact, I think there are a lot of people that are sitting in churches like this that have a desire to grow, right? It's there, but they don't know what to do. Well, here's the great part. Open the Bible. Read the Bible. I'm sure that other pastors have had this happen to them. Where do you start? I get that question a lot. Start in the Gospels. Start with John. You know, you know Jesus. You say, hey, he's changed my life. I'm a Christian. Read the Gospels. Then read Romans. Get somebody to sit with you in that one. Who's read Romans? Guys, listen. The Scriptures are meant for us to take and eat and digest 
Say, well, why don't people prioritize this in their lives? Uh, I got a couple of suggestions. I'm not getting on you. I'm just suggesting some things about people that can happen. Why don't Christians commit themselves to knowledge? One is wrong priorities. I'll say that. Wrong priorities. Two, commitment. There's just a lack of commitment. And the third one I put down was laziness. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Laziness. If I said to you, this week I want you to write down the number of minutes that you found yourself just being lazy. Wouldn't that be interesting? And everybody could come back up and report that. That I was lazy for 36 hours this week. Hey, look, we all get like that. Rest is important, and I'm not diminishing rest, but wouldn't it be nice if as believers we thought, man, I can rest later. I got to get in this book now. Wouldn't that be cool? Be awesome. Well, I'd say we could use some growth in that area. C.H. Spurgeon said, Christians must go beyond belief and seek out consistently God's word which provides truth to live by. So it's not just, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm holding on tight. It's I need to grow in Christ and the only way to do that is through the study of the word of God. The third one, you're really not going to like. Self-control. Notice he says, for this very reason also apply in all diligence in your faith, apply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Where does that come from? The scriptures. And in your knowledge, so as we gain knowledge of the scriptures, then we have to deal with this issue called self-control. That word uh, self-control means holding one's passions and desires in check. Uh, primarily referred to um, sexual passions being under control. Uh, sexual passions in our culture is out of control. True or false? True. It's all over the place. You take your phone, you get these messages, it's computers, it's television. You think about the way that television has alone has attacked the family unit in, this, in regard to this. Attacked it. Doesn't matter if you're married, you can have affairs, that doesn't matter. In fact, it's expected. You're free to do that. According to God's word, no. No. The term was also used not only to describe being under control sexually, but the term was also used of athletes who were to be self-disciplined in order to compete at a high level. Both were used. I want to deal with this issue of sexual control. I want you to go back with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. The Apostle Paul deals with this whole issue, right? 
He says, verse 1 of chapter 4, Finally then, brothers, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, that you excel still more. So, not only walk with the Lord, but excel more. Not only please the Lord, but excel more. Verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, For this is the will of God. Now when we read a statement like that in the very beginning of a verse, we go, oh, whoa, that's a stop sign. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let me read that again. That you abstain from sexual immorality. How does that look? Well, I need to abstain from internet sites that are pornography. Abstain. You have no business being there. None whatsoever. No believer has any place in their lives for that junk. And that's what it is. It's junk. Think about the number of homes that have been destroyed just through this one thing. And I hear the excuse just because I'm in the position I'm in. I couldn't help it. Well, hold on a second. Do we believe that the Spirit of God lives in us if we're saved? Answer, yes. Do we believe that, that we need to get up every morning and say, Spirit of God, control me? Yes. So can there be victory? Yes. Well, you think about what's being promoted on phones, on the internet, and television shows, and I'm not telling you what to watch, but I'm saying we need to be careful, don't we? I mean, there are shows that are devoted to promoting sexual immorality. That's just the truth. You know, when I was growing up, I remember um, when the USA Network first came out. How do you remember that? When the USA Network first came out? And I, was, I remember watching television thinking, wow, TV's changed. They're showing a lot more of a person than they used to. Well, now, right, you can turn about on any channel, it's like, well, hello. And it doesn't matter that this person's married to this person or this person's married to this person. You have the right to do what you want to do. And Paul and Peter would say, baloney. If you belong to Christ, we've given up that right. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know what that means, guys? It starts with you individually. In other words, I don't go to my neighbor and say, well, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you need to dress. This is what you need to watch. No, 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 no. That's legalism. That's legalism. We let the Spirit of God do what? Work in the heart and the life of a believer. And do you know that since I was a, a kid, a teenager, the things that have been put away in my life because the Spirit of God has convicted me, it's a long list. And I believe this. As a believer, the list gets longer. See, because it's about holiness. God wants us to be holy as He is holy. 
That's what Peter tells the believers there in the chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Be ye holy as I am holy. So, then, I need to be careful with, you know, it's that little song, right? I can't remember the song. I'm not going to sing it for you. But, you know, when kids are growing up, be careful little hands what you touch. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little feet where you go. All that kind of stuff. You, remember, you don't remember that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. But that's how it goes. Be careful little ears what you hear. Parents, can I say this just in a really loving way? I love you. Know what your kids are watching. Know what your kids are doing on the internet. In fact, this is just a suggestion and you can take it as that. Your computer needs to be in a public area. I mean, I'm, you know, that's not legalism. That's just, hey, being smart. Because none of us are above it. Parents included. Well, so, wow, this is a difficult one. In fact, it's taking most of my time. Discipline. To say, no, you know what? I'm going to forsake that. I'm going to forsake that. I'm going to forsake that. Because it's not healthy for me spiritually. How is that helping me grow in Christ? And listen, Paul and Peter, man, they lived in a time where in these cities, they had temples devoted. Are you listening to me? Temples devoted to sexual immorality. It's the truth. Well, all right. Jerry Bridges says, I really like this quote. There is a form of self-control that says yes to what we should do as well as that which says no to what we shouldn't do. I had a young person years ago uh, come to me who was in, it was back in another church I was in. Um, he came to me and he said, Dad, I, really, I've, I started drinking and I know I really don't need to be drinking because I'm drinking and I'm getting drunk. And I said, well, no, you don't need to be doing that. And he said, but it's really difficult because my parents do it. He said, you know, it's in the fridge and, 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 and it's so convenient for them and, and they even get out of control. And yet they were telling him, you don't need to drink and you don't need to get drunk. But they were doing it. So, people are watching my life. They're watching the things that I do. They're watching how, right, I discipline my body. So, what Jerry Bridges said is very relevant. There's a form of self-control that says yes to what we should do, as well as that which says no to what we shouldn't do. And you know the great part, guys? You know the one who's going to help you in that? The Spirit of God. He's your helper. He's your helper. One more this morning, and we'll be done. Man, it's already 11.40. Perseverance. Go back with me to 2 Peter. We'll end on this one this morning. It's a good one to end on. 2 Peter. He 
He says, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. Now, the word perseverance means to remain under trials and testings in a way that honors the Lord. Um, it's the ability to continue in the faith amidst much pressure or suffering. As you get older, you realize, man, we're just going through this life. It, this life's about perseverance, isn't it? Because as we get older, it, we recognize, man, this Christian life is difficult. The word um, does not describe a grin and bear it attitude, but one of triumph when facing trials, knowing that even in the difficulties, God works it out for good, just like Joe read earlier. In the difficulties, God works it out for the good. You say, well, I don't want to be in this trial or testing. Well, I'm not crazy about trials or testings, but God can work in us and use those trials and testings to grow us in our faith. Um... I want you to end with me in Philippians chapter 2. I think this is one of the best examples. Philippians chapter 2, about this issue of perseverance. You know, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he desired that uh, Timothy would go, but chapter 2 tells us that he hoped to send Timothy to them shortly in verse 19. And he tells you why. He said, verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. But Epaphroditus goes. Notice verse 25. But I thought it necessary, now look at this, this man named Epaphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Why? Here's the perseverance, verse 30. Because he came close to death. For what? For the work of Christ. <laughs> Man, that's persistence. That's perseverance. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Look at this. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now that's perseverance. That's persistence. That's what it means. In the Christian life, guys, it's not always going to be easy. We have to persevere. That's what brings honor and glory to the Lord. Um, I'll close with this illustration. The value of courage, persistence, and perseverance has been rarely illustrated more convincingly than in the, the story of this man. I want you to listen about this man. He failed in business at age 22. He ran for legislator and defeated at age 23. He again failed in business at the age of 24. He was elected to le the legislature in, at 25. His sweetheart died when he was 26. He had a nervous breakdown at 27. 
He was defeated for speaker at 29. He was defeated for lector at 31. He was defeated for Congress at 34. My goodness, let's just quit. He was elected to Congress at 37. He was defeated. Here comes another list. Defeated for Congress at 39. Defeated for Senate at 46. Defeated for Vice President at 47. Defeated for Senate at 49. Let's quit. Elected President of the United States at 51. Abraham Lincoln. Well, I'm reading through here and I'm going, man, defeat, 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 defeat. Quit. Right? When the going gets tough, we quit. No. As believers in Christ, when the going gets tough, and it does, and it will, we say, Lord, your grace is sufficient to carry me through this trial and this tribulation in my life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for your word. And Lord, there's a lot here to consider in this list. You know, Peter made it a really serious issue. He said if these qualities were not present, it would render them useless and unfruitful. (laughs) We don't want to be that. And Lord, really, this whole list, if you will, is about our sanctification. It's about growing in the midst of a, a world that is corrupt. It's about remaining steadfast and committed to holiness. Now all these things, Lord, they're, they're impossible. They're impossible without the Spirit of God. They're impossible without us yielding to the Spirit's control. But Lord, as we yield to your control... These things can be supplied in our faith in order that they would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that this week that we would think about supplying to our faith moral excellence. And in our moral excellence, knowledge. Not knowledge for the purpose of, hey, look how much I know. But knowledge in order that we might learn what brings honor to you and what dishonors you we might come to know you better as a believer in Christ. And then our knowledge, we would supply self-control. That's a big one, Lord. It's one that in this list, I know there's no one bigger than the other, but it's like, wow, that's a big issue in our culture, I guess is a good way to put it. And so in the church, it's really big. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in that by your Spirit. And that we would supply in our self-control perseverance. Because the Christian life, the road that you've put us on, it's laden with trials and tribulations. But Lord, can I just thank you that as I'm walking down the road, that in the midst of those trials and tribulations, you promise me that you'll never leave me and that you'll never forsake me. And you tell me that your grace is sufficient because without your grace, without your favor in our lives, none of this 
is possible. So we commit ourselves to you this morning. We ask that your spirit would work in us. Help us to understand better these issues as it pertains to spiritual growth. Help us not to look at it as a list to check off. That's not what it is. But help us, Lord, to understand that these things are so, all of them are so important in our lives as we demonstrate to others that we belong to you. Thank you that we've not been left alone, that your spirit lives in us and helps us. He's our helper as we address these things in our lives as believers. Help us to submit to the command to supply, abundantly supply these things for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.